0: Hi, my name is Lande Yusuf. And my name is Reggie Williams. And we're the co-founders of Black
1: Film Space. Black Film Space is a grassroots organization dedicated to enhancing the skill sets of black filmmakers and building a community of creatives. We host events such as screenwriting workshops, panels, mixers, and other events that are designed to support black content
0: creators. In the next episode of the Black Film Space podcast, we interview Yabo Boy. Iabo is a screenwriter, director, and producer working in fiction and documentary film. In 2018, she participated in the Sundance Film Institute's screenwriting intensive. She is the founder of the organization Brown Girls Doc Mafia, and she raised $25,000 for her short film entitled, Me Time, which recently screened at the Black Star Film Festival. We talked with Iabo about how she raised money for a short film, Brown girls doc Mafia All right, Diabo thank you for joining us on the black film space podcast
1: Thank you it's my pleasure
0: I would love to know what your thoughts and opinions are in regards to the landscape for black and brown women documentary filming
1: um, it's a big question for Doc filmmakers in particular, there's more space there than there has been in the past, it seems like. I founded Brown Girls Doc Mafia, which is a collective of women and non-binary people of color working in documentary. And, you know, we were sort of really welcomed. People were excited to have us. And it's been really wonderful being able to advocate for our filmmakers who are, you know, all ranges from director, producer, editors, also people who work on the industry side, like festival programmers and people who work in distribution, etc., so, I think bringing us all together in a space that's both like nurturing for us internally but also gives the public a place to look, you know, for talent and acknowledge as a thing that exists that felt like it didn't exist before, like felt like you couldn't find people and also the folks who were out there felt really isolated and tokenized. And so, yeah, we sort of seek to check a lot of boxes around both that internal emotional feeling of needing a place of refuge and needing to feel like you have a little bit more support and visibility in, in the documentary field, but also the field itself feeling you know excited to have folks to to expand their own sense of what's out there because I think the public is coming from their own ignorant spaces about where about talent of color, mm. but I think that in a certain places they do want more of it and so being able to be like have their answers made for them while still being a little bit lazy, but like having a go-to place helps. I think mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so it's still it's always going to be a challenge. You know, there are a lot of heroes out there who are getting stuff done, and um, a lot of people are waiting to take, to, you know, to stand on their shoulders and step into their shoes. As long as there's, we're out here. <laughs>
0: That's dope. Um, so, Brown Girls Doc Mafia mm-hmm. is it primarily to bring attention to? filmmakers who, who aren't getting it what would be the benefit of being a member
1: to creatively and professionally um, support women and non-binary people of color working documentary and also the the second part of the mission is to work to change the field to be more inclusive and diverse but the, the there um, you know there I think there are millions of benefits of course of being in the group but it's really about a community you know, like I said, isolation and tokenism, like a lot of us are feeling alone out here, you know, and feeling like you don't have uh, tangible steps to be to make it from here to Ava. How does that happen? Mm-hmm. And so Brown Girls fills in these spaces where we can see each other in a new way. Being like, okay, this person is not that different from me, and, but maybe they're a couple more years along in their career. Or maybe they've checked this or that box with that institution And this helps me have a clear vision of how I can get to where my goals are. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I said, it's a refuge, you know, just from the harsh realities of being a person of color in this in this field and being like, yo, this happened to me. Did this happen to anybody else? Mm -hmm. And having that validation peer to peer, I think, brings a lot for. All of our individual self-actualization and like self-esteem to be able to continue like mm-hmm. waking up every day and pursuing this mm-hmm. and getting kicked in the face and over and over again, you know. But so that visibility, but also the camaraderie and and getting through that stuff, and also just the tangible stuff, the exchanging resources, exchanging jobs that aren't public, mm-hmm. talking about fellowships, you know, keeping it real about experiences that were not cool, mm-hmm. and like warning people about certain individuals in the industry or certain mm-hmm. kind of places in the industry you know helping us each other navigate their careers. And then there's like, you know, the actual program stuff that we do, which is like bringing people to festivals, helping bridge that financial access gap, which mm. is a huge deal for folks of color who have been systemically disadvantaged in many ways. Just getting in the room so that we can then help you navigate the room, you yeah. know, help you f- figure out how to network, how to talk about your, you know, how to pitch and um, make those moves, know who's in the room, okay, that is that person from that, or go talk to them, That mm-hmm. make some in, uh, introductions personally, all that kind of thing, you know?
0: Do you have like specific events, like retreats where you go away, like, can you elaborate more on yeah. that?
1: Yeah, we usually have five sort of official get-togethers throughout the year. Oftentimes they exist at a film festival, because um, there's a lot of programming built in we have had a retreat in the past like uh, for the filmmakers in our group we have done like camera workshops we have done conversations kind of just like the state of the field like what's going on in the industry right now do we think about it strategic planning sessions how do we change the field how do we build up brown girls to do better work in the field how do we build up brown girls to do better work for ourselves as a, co- as a collective so those are those kinds of things but we're all over the country so people do get together on their own too mm-hmm. in the Bay Area and LA, and Chicago, and New Orleans, are kind of spread out. So there's also little small groups that just get together to w- go see a movie, mm-hmm. you know, or just have a drink and mm-hmm. talk about their week, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Got it. Got it. Cool. So, how does one become a member?
1: So we're we're a private group um, via Facebook right now, mm-hmm. and folks can you can just find us on Facebook. And there's a set of a few questions that we ask on entries just. How do you self-identify? Brown Girls is about self-identification, so it's like if you identify as a person of color, if you identify as a a woman or non-binary trans person, then, you know, you're welcome. And then also, you know, why do you want to join the group? Like, what are your objectives? And what do you do in documentary? It is a professional group, so we do, you know, support folks who are coming into the industry You know, as their first few steps, but your desire should be to have a professional Mm -hmm. goal within the field. Yeah. We love fans and advocates, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's not that group. That's reasonable.
2: (laughs) That's reasonable.
0: So I want to talk more about your career as a producer. Mm -hmm. Um, You were a producer for the documentary for Akeem. Yeah. Which got a 96 rating (laughs) on Rotten Tomatoes, which is insanely amazing. Can you tell our audience, our listeners, what the film was about and what your role was as a producer?
1: Yeah, so the film is about a teenage black girl named Daje who lives in St. Louis. The film begins about a year before Mike Brown was killed in Ferguson, which is a few miles from where she lives. And it spans her junior and senior year in high school. So it's really about her coming-of-age story, and then Ferguson sort of just happens within the landscape of her life. And then the film continues on to you know at the end of her senior year. But Ferguson is sort of entwined with um, just a bigger statement about what it is to be a black kid in America right now.
0: OK. And uh, what, what was your role on the film? I, I, mean, I mean, you were a producer, but more yeah, specifically.
1: I was a producer. The, the um, directors are Jeremy Levine and Landon Van Soust And I had a, an EP on board uh, who was on the ground. And we, I had another co-producer, Nick Weissman. And I came on board after they'd shot most of the film, and they'd actually had a cut already and even submitted it to Trebecca.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I knew them already kind of vaguely, and then I saw a, a clip that they had at IFP, and I was completely blown away. I don't Have you seen the film? I have not. So there's a clip of Daje in a classroom with some other black girls, and it's them watching the Ferguson news on their computers at school for mm-hmm. the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's heart-wrenching, but it's also so riveting and you know, an empowering kind of way because they're pissed, and they're being so themselves, they're being so free with their anger. And I felt like within the context of the angry black woman, within the context of the idea of black teenagers being, you know, negative stereotypes about black teenagers being rowdy or not in tune or all the negative things, these girls were so specific in their... Fierceness, You know, and so intelligent about it. And I felt just even as a w- black woman myself, I just felt really grateful for their voices. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even know that mm-hmm. they're in a classroom in the middle of the country that we've never met. And I was like, "How do I get involved in this?" And I basically forced myself onto the project. <laughs> and I just called them and was like, "You guys need to bring me on immediately," and I and they did thankfully. And um, it just really became a relationship around giving my voice as a black woman and big picture of what her life could look like on screen. Mm-hmm. And so we actually pulled the film out of the running of the festival oh they submitted wow. to, you, which was I know they were like. Are you serious (laughs) I'm like yeah I'm serious like this is not ready Mm. I mean it was it was a good film but it could have been so much better Mm. you know and I was like just pull it so we pulled it out of Tribeca and we edited for another eight months oh wow and I was there pretty you know very active in the edit with the directors and our editor Lily Henderson and yeah it was wonderful so I my role I feel like was probably 40% 40% just being in the edit and just being in the story with them and holding everyone's hand together and being like, okay, how can we do this in a way that's really going to pull out what Daje is and like really kind of take a few steps bigger, a few steps up about the meaning of this, you know, what her, what her life could represent. It was all there already. I mean, mm-hmm. they'd all they sh- everything was shot. It was mm-hmm. all there. It was just about kind of really amplifying it. And that work also was plugged into the writing about the film. And so I did a lot of grant writing and, and fundraising. Mm-hmm. So sort of using the elements already in the film and fusing that in, in a, a written form that really um, brought it to the fore and we were able to like raise some money for that. So that was my role in the film. and bringing in partnerships, um, talking to funders, of course, but other, festivals. I had been working in festivals for a long time so mm. bringing in festivals to really think about the film in a different way and, mm. and negotiating those relationships and all in conjunction with my co-producer Nick Weissman. Once the film was done the festival stuff was happening thinking about how do we put it out in the world choosing the images like what does a poster look like? How do we best represent Daugé? How do we make sure black women out there know that this is a story for them? Mm. And then since the directors of the film are white men and you know, we make sure that they are representing themselves in the film and this issue and Darje in a way that is really appropriate and respectful and also new, like, is really forthcoming, something that's really present in the dynamics in that relationship, you know, Mm. present in their privilege and present in their love for her and, and in their passion for this project and for the story and everything, and just really owning a lot of it. So it was a lot of messaging and, like, bringing in other... Branding people to talk to us about that. By branding person, I mean someone who's like, really gets the racial dynamics mm-hmm. around having white filmmakers making a film about a black girl, mm-hmm. um, and helping us just be good. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you go to q a and A as a white director, and they always fail you. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, oh, come on, man. You know, yeah. I was like, this is not gonna happen on my watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's dope. So we did a lot of like Q and A conversations. You know, walk through like what kinds of what were our talking points what was really important to us how to be real and authentic on stage and, and interviews and things like that
0: can you just elaborate more on what you saw in the first cut
1: mm-hmm.
0: that was lacking
1: between the one that i saw and the one that we finished we had like you know three or four other cuts in, oh, that, in gotcha, those eight months gotcha, gotcha. but just to give you an example of a key moment for me was there's so and Doge has a boyfriend in the film his name's antonio and he has some run-ins with the law and some challenges with the legal system. Um, there's a moment where he's going to court and he's talking to a judge. It's towards the end of the film. And he's waiting in line to talk to the judge. He, he kind of wa- The judge is a white man. He's walking towards him. And there's just like a part in the edit where the judge gives Antonio this look of... It was like Antonio didn't really exist. Like he wasn't really there, you know? It's just like another black kid coming to court, you know? Mm-hmm. But at this point in the film we had just spent an hour and a half with Antonio falling in love with him because he's a really interesting, dynamic kid who's has a lot of challenges, but he is charismatic and he's beautiful and his story like, you know, is really reflective of a lot of black men that we that we know and love. Like you as a black person I think you look at him and you're like, That's my brother, that's my cousin, mm-hmm. that's my son. That's how the cut was before and I didn't feel like we were giving him his due in this moment. Um So, but in the real life, the judge had seen Antonio multiple times, like he knew him, you know, Mm. and they had not a relationship, but he recognized him and genuinely, or at least his face showed that he was disappointed in Antonio, not, you know, just as like a kid in the system, but as a person that he has seen a few times. Mm. And the judges, I just saw like in one of the raw clips that the judge made this face that was like, like, damn, man, like as if a mentor or a father or parent or a person a teacher would make on you you know and Antonio hadn't been in school for a while and i was like hey we gotta use this this image of the judge being a human like mm. not just being a white dude or being you know the man or the system he was being a human i was like you know what man i was hoping more from you and i'm sad you know i genuinely feel sad mm. and you know it was like okay that would add another five or eight seconds to the film and when that was the moment we were trying to cut and i was like guys we need this mm because this humanizes him and I really do think me being a black woman in the room Mm -hmm. in the edit suite seeing that moment and being like we need this I think that's what made that you know for Akeem notched up a little bit that's one part of it Mm -hmm. one part of a big picture of working with other editors and other contributors you know all together to make to really find those moments and pull them out
0: yeah what's something that you learned from producing this film
1: My first thought is that I want to direct, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I can answer it in a way that's more helpful for other people. But I do think that it's it is also helpful to hear someone who is has worked in a lot of fields supporting other filmmakers and loving that film and loving that process and loving that team. But really that thing in the pit of your stomach, that's like, I really wish that I was doing this. I wish that I was making my own thing. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of smacked me in the face, you know, and I wasn't able to kind of push it away anymore. Mm -hmm. And actually shifted away from producing and started Mm -hmm. focusing on writing and and directing. Okay. So I think that's hopefully, you know, helpful for some people to at least maybe like know when that little voice in the back of your head is like really trying to knock on the door Mm -hmm. and when to listen to it.
0: Mm hmm. That's dope. We're definitely going to talk about, yeah. you know, your endeavors as a screenwriter and director. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering if there's something yeah. a little bit more tangible that some of our listeners can can hold on to.
1: Yeah, I think one of the pieces f- that I, I helped with before came as a producer. A lot of producer's job is raising money, mm-hmm. and I think there's a com- there was a communication breakdown or like wall in the grant writing for that film. And I think it happens with a lot. I mean, I've now consulted on a lot of other people's grants and I've worked for a funder. I worked for Chicken and Egg Pictures for four Mm -hmm. years. And so filmmakers and funders really speak different languages, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's something that I, I I started a consulting company a few years ago that's already closed, but it was called Feedback Loop. And it was basically about trying to bridge the gap between funders and filmmakers in that communication grant writing material thing. Mm -hmm. I think with For Akeem, there was an emotion piece that was missing. They had all the context, they had all the stats, they had great character information, you know, but there was, like, that thing that makes a f- any person want to drop a tear, you know, that that heartstring-pulling thing. I think folks sometimes maybe think that's a little cheesy or think it's pushing too hard or something like that, but it's like, you got to remember, funders are people, too,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they have emotions and they are driven by their emotions just like we all are and so if you can really dial in as deep as possible what is the core like what is the real meaning of all this Mm -hmm. um, on a human level and make sure you build your grant around that nugget for Akeem I think the nugget for me that I ended up writing about is really connecting the dots between Darje and Mike Brown and it's really about the body and it's kind of like we pulled in some ta Quotes, quotes in our grants but it's, a, it's about violence to the body mm. which is obvious of course in a mike brown situation but when it came to Dage and thinking about black women thinking about the violence of losing our men you know the violence of losing your your dreams of the possibility that she might not have graduated from from high school mm. spoiler alert um but The violence, you know, the beauty of having children, but also the violence of having children too young or too soon, Mm -hmm. and what that does for you. The violence of just her her neighborhood, you know, and the environment that she was coming from. The psychological, the emotional violence, you know, and so that was kind of the nugget that was able to connect us with Ferguson, which was like a lot of people's question mark was like, "I don't get it. I don't get it." You know, connecting those two things, giving an alignment for Daj helped do that. But for other, just from my experience looking at other grants, it's really about connecting the dots like Mm -hmm. folks filmmakers just don't get what funders are looking for funders don't get what filmmakers are talking about half the time so it's kind of about just connecting the dots it's so detailed it's hard to go into but if you have a clip that you're showing a funder make sure you write about the clip in your text if you have a pf text but you don't have a clip yet be careful about talking about stuff that's not on the clip or at least be make sure you unpack it and take a step back like we all Writers often just jump in and are like, so this is Frankie, whatever. You just kind of start going down a road and it's like, okay, back up for a second. I mm. need some context. Like, people need to be warmed up, you know? Mm. So just thinking about the little circle, it's like concentric circles, thinking about the nugget and then the bigger circles outside of it, the two and three bigger circles like, mm. outside of it.
0: So you were invited to the Sundance Creative Producers Fellow? Yeah. Can you explain to us what that is and what your experience was like there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You could look at their website to see how they explain it, but for, for, <laughs> for, for us, it's really group therapy. Mm, okay. <laughs> it's like creative group therapy. Okay. And it's incredible. Anyone who's a producer should definitely apply. The SunNets team is the best in the world and just so emotionally, again, emotionally connected to the projects that they bring in and the people, more than the people they bring in in this particular um, fellowship it was really about developing us as people there's five of us my year Devo- developing us as people and connecting that then to a career and producing and then a project that you're working on but it's like we would get in these meetings that i would think is going to be about bu- budgeting or about you know interpersonal relationships or about navigating you know a conversation with this particular funder or whatever and the first thing is i would start talk like starting to talk about that and my mentor depending on the date would say stop How are you? Mm -hmm. I'm fine. So the budget, they're like, no, no, no. How are you? Mm -hmm. How's it going? Like, let's real talk. And they're just like, oh my god, it's so hard, and you just start crying.
0: (laughs) Wow, you're really crying. Oh yeah. Oh shit.
1: Five days of crying, straight up. Wow. Full crying, and it was great. You know, it was really, and you're like on a mountain, and there's like, you know, it's beautiful. It's very inspiring.
0: That's dope. That's dope. And how do you, how do you feel like that helped you in regards to being a filmmaker
1: I think again it really helps you assert who you are and what you want if for the most part you kind of know what you're doing mm-hmm. and their job or what, I see, what this seems to me like their objective is is to make sure that you feel supported that you have a team mm-hmm. that people believe in you
2: mm-hmm.
1: that whole week was like I see you I've got you mm-hmm. and you're gonna be fucking great nice. my that's what it's no, all exactly. about and then you just have to be like it's, a, it's a, like a self-esteem thing then you're just like okay Great, I can do that. <laughs>
0: yeah, and once you have your confidence, I mean, it's. You know. Yeah,
1: and then the, the group that we're in there with are these, you know, they became my sisters, and it's, then it's just kind of like helping each other, giving resources, being like, hey, I, I can't figure this out, or hey, do you know somebody? Then it's just like a, a you know, a friendship of support, professional support.
0: So you, you also participated in the Sundances 2019 Talent Forum. Yeah. In the Film Institute uh, Screenwriting Intensive. Yeah. For uh, your script, Kayla and Eddie in francais my is that pr- is yeah. that correct on francais. <laughs> francais yeah yeah so what what was your experience like in that what did you learn
1: there's two parts the first one was the int- the writing intensive that was three or two and a half days three days in la with the a different side of sundance so the first fellowship was with the documentary side and they have a whole fiction department they're different people mm-hmm. so that was incredible too it was like 12 writers um it was really a, an actual writing intensive you know we didn't even workshop our scripts as they were that much more it was like prompting us to think about writing as a practice Mm. there was this really incredible woman i feel so terrible i'm forgetting her name but um i can look it up she's incredible she's like this wise grandmother who knows everything and it's just like old punk rock grandma who just like wants you to she's like punching you in the face with knowledge you Mm. know and you know you just these prompts of like write down five times when you felt insecure. Mm. And everyone in the room would do that, and then we would go around the room and read those things, and then maybe, you know, after that sunk in, after you've done that like seven times with other questions, she'd say, okay, take your answer to 1A, 3B, and 4C, and write a story
0: Mm. in
1: the next five minutes.
0: Mm.
1: And then you're going to read it out loud. Wow. And so that's all. And so it's just like like it was about connecting to yourself intimately, emotionally, using the tools that are in front of you Mm -hmm. and the prompts that are in front of you, and going, and and being and cultivating your own fearlessness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super valuable. I've never been in a writer's room like for a TV show or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but I'm guessing that that kind of work is what they what is demanded on a daily basis if you're on snl like you know it's all about just like producing but the producing isn't coming out of nowhere it's coming from somewhere you know and so it's about figuring out how to dive into the pieces of your own world and make something out of them Mm -hmm. so that was really incredible
0: yeah it it sounds like a really good time how does one get into these sundance programs was it as simple as applying for Mm -hmm. it did you already have relationships built in that, that yeah. helped you get in or what advice can you give
1: yeah it's tough i think in theory yes i just applied but in actuality no you know i would known people who worked at sundance for many years mm-hmm. um i actually worked there many years ago mm-hmm. for like three months you know i'm just a seasonal job i didn't meet anybody who i know now um in that job but that kind of just like working there or volunteering there, or inst- going to events like that, gives you a sense of like, okay, these are real people, and it's not that scary. Mm-hmm. And then in funding with Chicken and Egg at Rebecca Film Institute, in like program-based organizations, um, I be- I just had tangential relationships with Sundance folks. Um, if they like, I brought them in to work with art filmmakers at Chicken and Egg, and I'm trying to think the root of it but it, it's all based in kind of a doing your own thing doing it well and people seeing that you're doing it mm. b putting yourself out there and putting yourself out there in a good way in terms of like asking for support like applying for the thing not being too scared to apply to the thing cuz lot of people are get that in your head you know it's like just apply to the thing yeah applying to the thing see the sort of network and friendship building stuff of like going to events knowing what someone looks like making sure they know what you look like building a any kind of relationship at all for years i actually this is a good story there's a sundance producer oh sorry a programmer named basil Tosiokos, who i just like lightly stalked for like three (laughs) years you know (laughs) and i knew that he worked at sundance and i knew that he was cool you know and he was really good friends with this black woman director named angela tucker who lives in new Orleans. And they were always at, like, every industry party hanging out with each other. And they didn't care about networking. They weren't trying to, like, schmooze. They were just, like, hanging out with each other. Mm-hmm. And I was like, those are the cool kids, mm-hmm. you know? And I just would go up to them. And I'd be like, hey, Basil, I saw you on the panel yesterday. That was really cool. You know, this part was, you know, it wasn't an idiot. I'd be like, oh, I really appreciate what you said about blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, oh, by the way, your tie's. you know, I love your tie mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. you know? he's like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And then I was like, cool, bye, and just walk away. I did that for like three years <laughs> at every single event that I saw them at. I'm like, hey, Angela, you know, blah, blah, blah. Cool, 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 bye, you know. And then three years later, I'm walking in a lobby somewhere, and I hear someone go, yabo And I turn around, and it's Basil.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, shit. We're friends now. Yeah. You know? And... You know, I wasn't trying to get anything out of him. And I still don't, like, use him for things like that. But if I wanted to, you know, I have been able to be like, hey, can you look at this? Or, hey, I applied. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, you know, that kind of stuff. And it comes from a genuine place. It is the who you know Mm -hmm. junk. But luckily, again, for this is a POC-based, you know, a black community, um, black film space, they want to know you guys, you know. Mm -hmm. They really want to know black folks because this program these programs are every year and they you gotta have at least one
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> gotta have at least one black person in each program every year so yeah. they, they need more and more half joking but it's <laughs> it's, it's legit you know
0: <laughs> so the moral of the story is to stalk people all right um <laughs> uh, as long as it's light stalking, it's light stalking. I guess it's, it's
1: put yourself fine. out there meet people and i think it's kind of you kind of have to do your own thing But don't be afraid of promoting it, basically. And know who you're promoting it to.
0: So, what is Me Time about? Mm
1: -hmm. Me Time is a short um, sex comedy about self-care and masturbation. It stars a wonderful actress named Dana K. Thomas. Um, She plays a character named Deborah who is sort of coming home after a stressful day at work and is thinking about how to decompress when three other parts of her inner psyche appear in her room and have a conversation with her about self care and self love and how to spend that time and basically, you know, get it on solo in a certain sense. There's like a soulful version of herself called Soulful Deb who wants her to really reconnect and work through uh we what we discover is some trauma that deborah is is having a blockage around mm-hmm. um, there's sort of scaredy deb who's got who's kind of like a steve Urkel type who just wants to like watch gilmore girls and eat oatmeal and hang out and pretend like masturbation's not a thing and then there's sexy deb who wants her to like you know throw her heels back on and head out to the club and you know find somebody but isn't really connecting to the roots of like you know why she feels like she needs to go out and do that. Mm. So it's kind of like a sisterhood of peep, of voices inside your head yeah. talking you through this stuff. But it's, it's um yeah, it's just joyful and introspective.
0: Yeah, it's a dope concept. Yeah, Thanks. I, I love the film. What was the process like in casting and directing, um, in regards to you know it being. A movie about masturbation, like, mm. you know, what, what, what was your thought process like, and what was the actual process like?
1: You know, it was honestly not very different from casting in any film. You know, I was very upfront with that it's a film about masturbation. Um, I didn't actually reference that much, like in the casting materials, like how much you would see. I didn't re- say like there's. N- I think I didn't. I might have said there's no nudity or something like mm-hmm. that, but. You know, it goes to show how many actresses are just trying to get work out there. And they didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody really, nobody asked or anything, really. And, yeah, it's like, you know, we had the sides. Actually, we first, I found people through all these different Facebook groups, you know, like Black Film Space and other um, POC actor groups and some of the normal places in the industry. And then asked folks to put themselves on tape and, um, you know, reviewed maybe 20 auditions on tape and then called in like six or seven people who were really special i thought and did some live auditions with different set of what's the word um of uh
0: sides sides, yeah (laughs) sorry
1: and yeah and i asked them to talk to to talk to me about kind of like which deb they identified with you know tell a story about their own sexuality that just wasn't even you know didn't have to do with a Mm. A monologue or anything so just to see how people how loose somebody could be on camera and how personal they can because even though the debros are really all me I needed somebody who could bring in a lot of their own personal feelings into mm. it why is that because it's them ultimately it's gonna be them on screen you know in front of the camera and with the shoot you know it did end up being like you know we, shoot, we shot it all in one room but the other room was you know the the video monitor to watch what was going on and behind the monitor is me and like thirty other people in the oh, crew.
0: Thirty people? The yeah. Crew? Wow.
1: I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Between <laughs> twenty and thirty people. Is yeah. That, Isn't that a lot? It's a lot of people. Yeah.
1: And she's in the room, you know, with her um she had some other ladies helping her with running the lines and being stand ins. But she's like in her underwear talking mm. about masturbation. You know, and so she had, to, you know, the person had to be really comfortable with themselves and be professional, honestly, to be like a professional actor who just felt really st- like, yeah, I can do this. No problem. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so and I'm just really happy to have found Dana Kay in that process. She's incredible.
0: Yeah, she was great in that. She's really, really good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you you raised twenty five thousand dollars on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Thanks. What was your strategy prior to launching your campaign? Like, did you have multiple people supporting you? Like, how far in advance did you um, begin to strategize?
1: I used to work for Kickstarter, so I have lots of... You know uh, all
0: the ins and outs? Of do I know the
1: ins and outs. And I've also done... This was my f- fourth Kickstarter, wow. I think. I mean, I've done three... I think three for mm. myself and one for someone else. And then I also worked at Kickstarter. So I just understand the tool really well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But... I think it was really f- for the success of me time work on the Kickstarter, I think is about one choosing the amount um my previous Kickstarter for my that I did for my own my my short just for my short was like seven or seven k I think, and that was that was a like f- you know four years ago, and it was kind of like a test run of like what kind of support do I have in my community yeah and I think because I had been more public about my shift away from documentary into fiction and writing directing. I just felt the love I I knew I I knew slash took a chance that there would be an amplification of support Mm -hmm. and I was like screw it I'm just gonna go for it you know so um, choosing the amount which also just for folks who are thinking about how to do that my practical advice is make a list of literally every person you've ever met in your entire life everyone that you know put them in a category so it's like friends like family members that you see regularly family members that you never see people you literally only know on Facebook, people from high school that you haven't seen in 20 years, you know, Mm. your coworkers, put them in categories, and guesstimate what you think they would give. So coworkers might give, like, 15 or 20 bucks each person, family members you talk to every day, you know, who owe you something, maybe they'll (laughs) give you 100 bucks, Mm. you know, that kind of thing. Guesstimate literally each person or each category of people and then add it up and say, okay, that's 12 grand. Great, Mm. you know, but I'm trying to raise 20. So you just i think it's about being practical so it's, it's 12 grand and then you can add like 10 percent because kickstarter is really about pressure and that extra 10 percent will come in but be realistic say okay if you don't have the kinds of tools like a tastemaker f- to amplify something for you if you don't know if you can get pressed to amplify it for you if your film like doesn't have a community you know um in terms of like Me time, there's a huge community of like black women, you know, sex enthusiasts and like self-care, that kind of thing. Like being able to find folks online theory is possible. Then you can like find ways to ratchet that up. So, you know, a safe person might say, okay, I'll make the the goal 15,000. A person who wants to take more risk and who has more time to plan and build Mm -hmm. that audience Mm -hmm. might go for 20. But you need like six months to build that audience before you do the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. I just know, yeah, so... Choosing the exact the amount and Yeah, kind of just the chemistry of knowing the it was the moment for me, you mm. know. It was a it was a do or die moment, you yeah. know. Go big or go home.
0: Yeah. Um, did did you have a team of people helping you with this?
1: Um, my producers were involved, but it it, it really was mostly mostly me, wow. to be honest. The, yeah. Most of the
0: backers came from you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. For sure. That's amazing. You have five hundred sixty three backers.
1: Yeah. It's I probably know at least, I mean, there's probably like 20 people that I don't
0: know. Okay. Group, yeah. Wow. That's dope.
1: Yeah. And I, I got an article in Shondaland right mm-hmm. at the end. And I think that helped a lot. Okay. People, people want to see you succeed. And mm-hmm. even though you, you know, your friends and family care about you and they're like, Oh, they're doing great. You know, having an external validation point really helps ratchet up, um, success. So if you're doing a Kickstarter and you can plan ahead to have an article drop, in your third or final week or your fourth week, that really will help you. Because it's like, hey, guys, we're, it's not just you. Big people think I'm fancy, too. So yeah, yeah. And people like, oh, shit. You yeah, know. <laughs>
0: that cachet always helps out. Yeah. So what challenges came up for you while producing or directing Me Time? And how did you overcome them?
1: Yeah. I mean, Me Time is much more expensive than I had hoped <laughs> or expected. It was more than 25000 Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: How long did it take to shoot? Four days. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, one actress plays all the parts. If I had four actresses, we probably could have shot it in two days. Mm-hmm. But because she had to go in and out of makeup, you know, which takes a half an hour each time, mm-hmm. with the crew can't do anything at this point because we're doing special effects, so the cameras locked off, mm-hmm. so nothing can happen. So there were just like huge chunks of the day where just dead time, besides her changing, you know. And so it took four days. And yeah, money came out of, the, out of my pocket. I really value this film and I think it's beautiful and I think it's worth, I know it's worthwhile. I feel good about the money, as good as I can to feel about <laughs> it, you know, having spent it. But the, the, the premiere of the festival um, at CineKink, there's another film that clearly had been shot in like four hours. And probably cost. I mean, I hope it cost less than a grand. And Mm. it was gorgeous. You know, it was heartwarming and beautiful and like sentimental and like really knocked it out of the park. And I'm, and at first I was, I was like, God damn it! Like these people did the exact opposite of what I did, and Mm. they are so successful. You know, like it's the film really works. So they're all. It takes all kinds. You know, it's a learning lesson. That was a learning lesson about money and how you spend money. Mm. You know, sometimes. Sometimes you gotta splurge too, mm-hmm. and I think for me transitioning into directing, I really needed me time to be a calling card for me and to be it in a big way, to be to look expensive on a certain level too, so that I can raise money for my next for my feature, you know, and say, okay, this you know the short costs between thirty five and forty grand, and so you know people who making features are obviously spending a lot more money than that. It'll hopefully give people a sense that I could handle a bigger budget film.
0: Okay. And what what about directing? Were there any challenges like on on set with the actor or with crew members, like anything like that?
1: One thing that was kind of that I'm still working wrapping my head around that folks may understand is, um, even though my actress and I did a lot of prep, um, a lot of the moments are on the day you know when you're making film like it's in the take and like my head has always thought that like you know i'm giving direction in between takes and like coming up to her and whispering like okay think about it like this you know doing the directing and that stuff i love you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i was like in heaven and it was really kind of strange because you have to remember that there are 30 people standing behind you waiting for you to move on because they're like A, this is semi-boring for us because we're just holding this thing and waiting for you to, like, you're having a magical moment, but I'm just holding the clapper, you know? And B, the time is a ticket, you know, and you got a lot more shots to do. And so I thought, like, oh, if I'm doing, like, three or four takes, what's the big deal But it's a learning lesson that like, yeah, you got to try to do this in like two takes, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. especially when again time and time equals money that whole thing and people are keeping people happy and that whole thing. So I'm still learning about time management on set as a director and still learning about what can be accomplished in a certain amount of time and how to set how to get what I want earlier because like when we were editing the film, when we were looking at the takes, the take that I would like for the cut was more than often the third or fourth take. Mm-hmm. It was always th- the take that I pushed for on set that I was like, no, I need another one. The third or fourth take that everyone's like, oh my God, we're gonna move on. That was always the take yeah. in the edit, every time. And so I respect and like honor myself in that moment of like need knowing what's what's gonna work but I now need to learn how to make that third take the first take, Mm -hmm. so that the third and fourth take are now the first and second yeah you know just to make things better
0: yeah cuz in TV they have like two like it's two takes Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken for directing so what is uh, what's next for you the next year
1: yeah um, well um, me time is hopefully gonna be find a distribution partner online in the early fall I'm hoping to find a great partner that can who is interested in black women, interested in in the conversations around um, sexuality and self-actualization, and you know, hopefully bring some attention to the film in that way. And just the goal of it is just to build an audience, just bring people towards the work that I'm doing and and hope to carry them on to the next project. So the next project on the bigger level is a feature screenplay that I was working at Sundance Labs on. It's called Caitlin Eddie en Francais. It's about a s- estranged black father and daughter who reconnect on a trip to Paris, and it's based on my real story with me and my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad is um, a recovering addict of um, thirty-one years now. Mm-hmm. The film takes place in a time in my life when I was in my early twenties, where I still had a lot of resentment against my dad, and just like, you know, being a child of an addict and trying to reconcile that history with my the history of that and that kind of the rockiness of growing up with the reality of my present day, which was like being in the, in an office with like a bunch of white people, like being the token black person at at my work who in theory had no idea where I came from and like just trying to juggle like being a person (laughs) in the world and, and him kind of colliding with me. And it's true that my dad just kind of started, he just, he, something clicked for him that he started reaching back out to me and started consciously and intentionally reinserting himself in my life. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like, that That was the moment where I had to figure out, I had to just accept it or not, you know, and or find, figure out what were the, what are the qualities of the things that are keeping me from opening up mm-hmm. and examining that. And that's what the film is about. Mm-hmm. So Kayla is a character who's just going through this, this process of figuring out why she has having a hard time um opening back up to her dad and the dad eddie who's just really trying to force his way in in a in a loving way Mm. and all of this just happens while she's on a work trip to paris and Mm -hmm. so paris itself they fall into this like french african um, underground scene like kind of hipsters and artists and it just that setting becomes a a really great opportunity for them to um, see themselves in a different way Mm. and reconnect in a different way
0: dope that's a beautiful concept thank you yeah best of luck with all your endeavors thank you so much so where can people find you and brown girls doc mafia yeah online?
1: yeah so i'm on instagram at cohorts. it's c-o-h-e-a-e-a-r-t-s coharts um twitter yabo underscore yabo and website iaboboy.com and then and me time has a is at me time film on instagram Brown Girls is on Facebook. Um, Just put in Brown Girls Doc Mafia, like documentary mafia. It's, again, it's for people who self-identify as women or non-binary or trans people who self-identify as people of color and who are people who work professionally in the documentary field. And uh, we're building a new website for Brown Girls where folks can engage with us and hire, collaborate, learn about our members in a big way. So hopefully that'll be out in, like, October or November. So you can look out for that. Cool, cool. Yeah.
0: All right. Thank you, Yabo. Appreciate it. Thank you. It. I thank love thank Black you. Film Space. <laughs> love you, too. Thank you. Woo. Thanks for listening to the Black Film Space podcast. If you're interested in being part of our community and attending events, please visit us at blackfilmspace.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Film Space. Subscribe to our email list and podcast. All right, see you soon.